Good evening. Good evening. Thank you. There's somebody here. <laughs> I'd like to thank you for the introduction. And I guess the feeling is mutual here. I don't know a lot of you. <laughs> uh, maybe a few faces, but uh, hopefully we can get to know each other in the Lord as we go through the week. I'll just uh, mention a few things maybe for uh, introduction. My wife's name is Naomi, and she came from close to, from Plain City. Her address was actually West Jefferson, but it's in the Plain City area. And um, we got married in 1972. And the Lord blessed us with 10 children, nine of which are living. And we have uh, living two boys and seven girls. And we started with girls, had two girls, and then two boys, and then the rest were girls. And the oldest girl is not married, and the youngest girl is not married. And I don't know if you call it coincidence or Lord's leading, but both of them have uh, been involved in teaching school. Our oldest daughter has taught lots of other places for a lot of years, and I think this is her third year in our area uh, teaching at home. And our youngest daughter is, this is her second year teaching in Romania. And uh, Most of the family, other than the two oldest daughters, have helped us in the small family business that we have, a lawn care business. And the girls would operate the mowers and the men would run the weed eaters and blowers. And... Uh, they're familiar with uh, cutting grass, but not too many of them are involved with it. Some of them still enjoy doing it, and last summer when our youngest daughter came back from Romania, she was kind of itching to get back out on the job and cut a few yards. But uh, so much for a family introduction. And uh, maybe we can share a little more as the Lord leads as we go through the week. But I think that's ample for starters. I want to uh, also bring you greetings from the church at Kempsville. I remember I could not say your names, but I know... Some of you have been there at various times singing. And I enjoy singing and enjoy hearing singing. And we have been blessed many times by you coming and singing. And I uh, invite you to come again. I want to also say I'm not here as one who has arrived or one who has attained. I'm here as a learner. 
together with you of the grace of God. Scripture tells us, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I've not arrived, but I think I have tasted. Tasted. You know, sometimes prior to the meal, we have what we call an appetizer. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Until you taste, you don't know. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How many of you men or boys have ever come home from work and maybe mama's got a new supper dish, something she hasn't made before, and you look at it and you say, oh, Mom, what, what's this? And she tells you what it is, and well, you're not quite so sure. And Mom may say, well, taste and see. That's the only way you really find out. Taste and see. And sometimes I've heard comments made like, that really doesn't look good. That doesn't smell right. But then I've heard the invitation, or oh, taste, won't you taste? And sure enough, once they taste, I've seen the plate go back for seconds. It was good. And that's little how I want to be here among you this week. We're coming back. We've tasted the Lord is good. And if you please, we're coming back for seconds, for thirds, because we want more. More about Jesus is what I know. More of his grace to others show. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me. More, more about Jesus. And that's what I want to endeavor by the grace of God to do. It's not about me. It's about him. Okay? It's about him. Of him. And through him. And to him. Like Paul says in Romans, the 11th chapter. And I'd like to invite you to pray that we can together learn more about Jesus this week. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for us. Sometimes in life we encounter unpleasant circumstances. We encounter difficult situations. We encounter disappointing things, do we not? And we experience the reality sometimes of unfulfilled expectations, right? You say sometimes, you know, in your mind, you're thinking things are going to turn out this way and things will fall in place this way. And first thing you know, that's not the way it's going. And we experience disappointment. We experience difficult things. Things that maybe we never thought we would encounter or be involved in. Sometimes these things are a result of our own failures. 
a result of our own making. Other times, we have no control whatsoever, so to speak. It's happened, and there it is. And sometimes, in those times, <coughs> we can wonder, where is God? Where is God? God, where are you? And we endeavor to try to work things out. But again, I was just blessed with that with the song service. I'm just kind of at I hope the last of getting over a cold. Uh, maybe you can hear it. I hope it doesn't distract. But I was blessed with those songs. We come to thee. We come. I'm so thankful God does not weary of us coming and coming often he invites us to come now I don't know anything about any of you okay and I don't have to that's fine God knows your needs And I don't know if that hymn is in your books or not. What a mighty God we serve. Our Father's wondrous works we see in the earth and sea and sky. He rules o'er all in majesty from his royal throne on high. I would like for us maybe to, if it is in the books, Maybe sing that at the end of the service this evening. It's not in books. Okay, thank you, Brother Joe. We could at least sing one verse. Uh, I just feel led to, to have it that way this evening. And uh, there have been, through history, men and women, families who have experienced the same things I was talking about. Things that happen, disappointments, longings that were not met. And I would just like to invite you for a text this evening to Genesis chapter 18. I'm not going to take the time to read all of this. I would just like to speak about the context. Here it says in verse 1, The Lord appeared unto Abram in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. This is the Lord, the Jehovah, that we were talking about, singing about. And prior to this, God told Abraham in chapter 17, verse 15, God said unto Abraham, as for 
Sarah thy wife. Thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is an hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? Is it appropriate to laugh at God like he's telling a joke? My way of saying it, it's, it's like Abraham saying, God, are you kidding? I'm a hundred years old and Sarah is 90. Who's ever heard of such a thing? And chapter 18 says that Abraham was sitting in the tent door. I picture a little canopy out over the door of the tent, and he is under the shade of that canopy. And Sarah is in the tent behind him. And she is listening to the conversation. And she hears... It says in verse 9, the Lord said unto him, they say unto him, where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, behold in the tent. And then he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. My way of saying it, they both laughed. And God heard it. And notice here it says Sarah laughed within her heart. I didn't always notice that. I had earlier assumed it was out loud. You know, like sometimes you just can't help it. And you you just bust out laughing. But here it says this was in her heart. But the Lord heard it in her heart. He understands our thought afar off. Before the words are even expressed, connected with the thought, he understands it. But notice he was truthful. He didn't scold them or bawl them out. I think God's heart was surprise. Get ready. There's a birthday coming. And that's what happened. But what I would like to emphasize tonight is this question. Is anything too hard for God? Is anything too too hard 
for God. And in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27, God repeats this question to the prophet Jeremiah. And there, in that context, God is speaking to Jeremiah, to the people, to his people, the children of Israel, and he is telling them, you have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and you've hewn out cisterns that can hold no water. And God was bringing discipline into their lives to draw them back again to himself. Isn't that kind of God? Isn't that merciful of God and gracious of God? I think so. But here God says to Jeremiah, I'm going to bring the king of Babylon over here. And he's going to take captive back to Babylon your sons and your daughters. And what are the people saying? Well, if that happens, we'll go to Egypt for chariots and we'll make a league with Egypt to come and help us. If my memory serves me correctly, I think it's Isaiah 30 where God gives the answer to that. And he says, woe to them that go to Egypt for help, for chariots. And there in that context, the people are saying, that's too far away, it's too far off. And God again asks this question, is anything too hard for me? Remember the king who was lifted up with pride and then he was in the fields like a beast until he gave glory to God. And what was one of the phrases, comments that he made? Now I know the most high rules in the affairs of men. Is it too hard for God to bring a king? Proverbs tells us, as the rivers of water flow, so is the heart of the king in the hand of the Lord. He turneth it whithersoever he will. And God brought that king, and they were carried away captive. Is anything too hard for God? And I'd like to remind us that when they were carried away, God did not forsake them. You remember Solomon's prayer. Second Chronicles 7:14. In that context, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And Solomon, that was an answer that Solomon, an answer to Solomon's prayer that he had made to God. And he said, God, if you see it necessary or needful because your people have turned away from you and you bring discipline by way of pestilence or carry them away captive or send a famine in the land to turn their heart back again, if they turn from where you have taken them, will you hear? Will you answer? And God says, if my people will humble themselves, Number one, humble, humble, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Is anything too hard for God? As these 
as this king came and the children of Israel were carried away captive, God did not utterly forsake them. You remember among those young men, there was a man by the name of Daniel. Daniel. Over in Babylon. In the midst. Taken. Now this happened to him. Remember some of the things I said in the beginning. Do you think Daniel ever thought when he was a young boy playing at home that someday he would be out of his control, carried over to Babylon, a strange land where there's idol worship and a totally different culture. Do you think he ever expected something like that? I don't think he imagined something like that as a young boy, playing out in the yard, in the sandbox, swinging on the swing on the porch. But suddenly he's carried over into Babylon, a captive. And in the midst of that trouble, he's praying. He's humbling himself and praying. And God honors his prayer, even in that captivity. Is there anything too hard for God? Look at what God did. Though he carried them, his people, captive, look at what he is still doing on their behalf. Here is a young man praying. I'd just like to remind us. Daniel chapter 6, we have the story of Daniel because he prayed three times a day to his God. He was cast into a den of lions. A den of lions. Can you imagine? Do you think Daniel ever expected to be thrown into a den of lions? And I'm of the persuasion that lions, these lions were hungry. They hadn't had a good meal that day. I think they were hungry. And I think they smelled food. Daniel was thrown into that den. I'm not sure how deep it was. But guess what? Daniel said, and I'm amazed at this king. Did you ever notice that story about the king? It says that night the king fasted and prayed. And he didn't listen to any music. He fasted and prayed. Why? He had learned to appreciate and respect Daniel. And he knew he was a wise man. And he knew he was innocent. And yet, because of the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not, which is unchangeable, and he had signed the decree by a trick, being tricked to do so, now it could not be changed. How do you think he felt? Do you think he ever thought he would be throwing an innocent man into a den of lions? I don't think so. I don't think he planned on doing that. He regretted signing that petition. And he prayed and he fasted. And early the next morning, he went out to that den. Early the next morning. And he called down into that den and he said, Oh, Daniel, is your God able to deliver you from the den of lions? Can you imagine the suspense of that king? Am I going to hear 
any voice? Am I calling into, am I too late? And he listens. And suddenly, O king, live forever. God send an angel and shut the mouth of lions. And the king said, come out of there. Come out. Is there anything too hard for God? I have to confess, brothers and sisters, sometimes my faith is weak in the midst of the den of lions that I'm facing, in the midst of the walls of Jericho that I'm facing. How about yours? I want to remind us, is there anything too hard for our God? Lots of things too hard for us, but not for him. Brother and sister, our God is omnipotent. Omnipotent. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 20, All power, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That is a representation of the omnipotence of God. Is there anything too hard for God? And along with Daniel in that land of Babylon, he had three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can read about that story in Daniel chapter 3. And you're familiar with the account this king made a huge statue. And he said, when the band starts playing, everybody is supposed to bow down and worship this statue. And here are these three young men standing out in the desert, as I picture it. And there's this humongous statue And the king gives the command and the director starts the music and everybody, but not quite. Three. Three are standing. Three are standing. How do you think that would have felt. All the society in that land is bowing down and worshiping this idol and here you are standing, refusing to worship. And it was reported to the king. I remember one time This is just a little detour, but it seems to fit. I remember one time in church, we were, our benches, yours are away from the back wall. That might not be a bad idea. But in our church that we used to have prior to building the one we're presently in, the bench was all the way against the wall. And I remember there was a a young youth boy at that time. I don't know if he had a hard night or what, but his head was back against the bench, and he was sleeping. And the preacher said, let's kneel for prayer. And so everybody turns around to kneel for prayer, and here is this young man with his head against the back of the bench, and he's just out but his head is sticking up. He's just out. And everybody turns around and can't help but see him. I mean, everybody else is low and you just look over the bench and there he is. And the preacher got done with his prayer 
And when everybody was rising from prayer, I don't know if both of the noises, you know, kneeling kind of makes a noise and rising kind of makes a noise. When everybody rose, he heard the noise and instinctively he's going down. (laughs) And again, you know, just as everybody's getting up, they see him flipping around going down. In other words, it's obvious. I think that's maybe similar to how these three young men out in the desert were. They're sticking up and everybody else is going down. And the king hears about it and he says, how dare you defy my commandment? Are you in your right mind? Do you know I've got a furnace prepared for you. If you do not bow down, there is a fiery furnace that you are going to be thrown into as punishment for refusing to obey my command. And these three young men, you know what they said? They said, King, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us if he so wills. He is able. That's up to him. But we are not going to bow. I love that song. It says, we will not bend, we will not bow. And there they stood. And the king got angry. And He said, I'm giving you one more chance. And they did not bend and they did not bow. And the king got angry and he said, make it seven times hotter. And they made it seven times hotter. It was so hot that it killed the soldiers that threw them in. Isn't that amazing? And these men, the Bible says, were bound Their hands, their feet were tied. Their hands and feet were tied. And it says they were wearing hats. Well, doesn't that make sense? Out in hot sun, I've seen people carrying umbrellas, protection from the sun. And here these men had hats. And they kept them on. And King says... You can wear them if you like, but you're going in. And he threw these three young men into the burning, fiery furnace. And maybe I get carried away sometimes a little too far with imagination, but how many of you have ever seen someone get mad and they take their hat off and throw it on the ground or they stump their foot, or uh, I can just imagine that king, as he sees them men being tossed in, and then his soldiers keeling over from the heat. I can about imagine him, you know, kind of moving his crown a little and maybe turning his back momentarily, and you know, well, I showed them. And maybe he's expecting to hear some shout of pain, some cry of terror, but he hears none. Silence. Isn't that strange? And when you hit your thumb with a hammer, what do you say? I'm at minimum, you say, ow. I'm not sure what it goes at maximum. (laughs) But the king didn't hear anything. The king didn't hear anything. And I can just visualize, he turns around and he looks into that fiery furnace that he had commanded to be heated seven times hotter. And he looks in there and he cannot believe his eyes. And he turns to the man beside him and he says, hey, 
was it three men we put in there or was it four? I was sure it was three. And he said, yeah, it was three. Look, I see four men in the midst of the fire and they're walking around and the fourth looks like the son of God. How did he know that? How did he know that? God is unique. There's something about God that is undeniable. He's divine and he's holy and he's omnipotent. And the king saw the omnipotence of God and he said, that's divinity. And he says, I see four men loose walking in the fire. Brother and sister, what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God. And those three men introduced Jehovah to that kingdom through the fire. I've said it this way already. I can picture Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not ever expecting they would be thrown into a burning flame of furnace of fire. But here they are thrown in. As they hit the hot coals, what happens? Can you picture with me Shadrach looking over at Meshach. What's happening? You okay? Yeah. Not burning? No. And pretty soon his hands are loose and his feet are loose. He says, hey, Shadrach, your hands are loose. And they get up. And about that time, Abednego gets up and he says, Hey, Shadrach, I dare you step on that one. <laughs> and Shadrach says, Cool. You know? Now that's, I know that's a bunny trail, okay? <laughs> but I hope it's something that can help rivet in your mind how great our God is. I'm not saying it just to be comical, okay? I'm not here to be humorous. I want to extol our God. He is a great God above all gods, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's our God. What a mighty God we serve. And I've said this way already, brother and sister. It is better if the will of God be so. Hey, you and I are in the fire with God than to be out of the fire without God. Do you get that? To be out of the fire without God is a whole lot worse than being in the fire with God. That blesses me, brother and sister. God working in the midst of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Those men, those boys had humble hearts. They were praying. I think they were crying out to God we want to go back home. They were turning their face back towards Jerusalem. God was with them. God honored their prayer. I think it's Psalm 65 verse 2 says, O thou that hearest prayer, 
Unto thee shall all flesh come. God hears prayer. And God has done tremendous and marvelous things in answer to prayer. In Joshua chapter 10, we have the account of the kings of the Amalekites coming against Joshua. And the Lord says, I'm going to take care of these guys. And you can read the account. It says God rained hailstones down. You ever been hit on the head with a hailstone? I remember working at home. We had been cleaning up leaves. And all of a sudden, it started raining. And suddenly, the temperature dropped. And the next thing, I was working in the backyard. And you can see I'm bald-headed. And next thing I knew, hail was coming down heavy. And if you don't have insulation here, you it feels different than if you do have insulation, okay? But it was... It was hurting. But it says that God sent hailstones down and the children of Israel started pursuing the enemy. And look what God did. As they were fighting this fight, Joshua said, the enemy is running. And they were chasing them. And Joshua said, we need more time. We need more daylight. And Joshua, Man of God that he was. Can you imagine making such a prayer? He says, Sun, stand still. And moon, stand still. And God honored that prayer. And scripture tells us, if the sun and the moon stand still, how do you measure time? They used to have the sundials. But the Bible says that for the sp- approximately the space of one day, the sun stood still and the moon stood still till Joshua got done what needed to be done. And it says there was not a day like that before nor after that the Lord hearkened to the voice of a man. Amazing. Can you imagine? The sun stood still. And the universe had no screeching tires. Mars didn't say, or Jupiter. God had everything in perfect, complete control. What a mighty God stood still for about the space of a day. And we can read the story of King Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 20. He was sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet was sent to him. God said, you go to the king and tell him to set his house in order because he's going to die and not live. In other words, we say, time to make your will. Set your house in order. And Isaiah delivered the message to the king. Went into his bedroom or to his chamber. Delivered the message and walked back out. And Hezekiah hearing the message turned his face to the wall and wept and prayed to God. And he made his prayer to God. And what does God do? It says before Isaiah had walked entirely through the middle court. I'm not sure of that distance where the middle court was in connection with where the king was. But it says before he got through the middle court, the Lord said, Isaiah, turn around and go back. You go tell the king, I've heard his prayer and I'm adding 15 years to his life. 15 years to his life. 
And Isaiah goes back up into where he had just been and said, set your house in order. And now he says, the Lord's heard your prayer and he's going to add 15 years to your life. And would you have a problem believing that? That soon? I think the king just couldn't believe it. Is this for real? Are you sure? And the king said, what is a sign? You see, what is a sign that I know this is going to be this way? And it blesses me. God told Isaiah, says, give him multiple choice. Give him multiple choice. Does he want the sundial to go forward 10 degrees or backward 10 degrees? And Hezekiah said, hmm, I know I was getting multiple choice. But in that case, forward 10 degrees, it's going that direction anyways. I'm taking back. See, he needed something concrete. He says, okay, I want to see it go back. Isaiah says, you got it. And can you imagine the king looking at sundial? Back 10 degrees. Again, nothing collides. I'm not sure, did God just make the shadow? Or did he again move the sun and the moon? I don't know. He would have been capable of doing that. All things consist by him, Colossians tells us. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. God delights in doing wonderful things for his people. And I'm aware, brother and sister, our culture, our society... views children from a wrong perspective. Not everybody. But in a general sense, the pressure is not to have large families. Okay? I've already told you, we have nine living. And we have encountered some of those pressures along with others. God says, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the children that are born, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read, God has a will for the replenishing of the earth and a reason for it. He wants people to be taught about him and not just taught but to know him to know him personally individually and as a church corporately and God tells the fathers you be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and you look at the contrast it seems to me it is almost opposite Back in those times, if you were barren, that was almost like an unbearable reproach on a woman. Today, if you have over X number, that is considered a reproach. I want to remind us, you can read different women who were barren and unfruitful and they longed to be able to bear children. And Hannah was one such mother. She went to the temple and she was so desperate in such straits that she prayed with such 
earnestness and fervency that Eli the priest thought she was drunk. Have you and I ever been accused of being drunk because of how we prayed? Probably not. But the priest told her, go home and get sober, then you come back and pray. And she said, I am not drunk. Out of the abundance of the grief and sorrow of my heart, I'm pouring it out to God. And he said, if that's the case, God grant you your request. You poor soul, God grant you your request. And he did. And on to the pages of time, in answer to prayer, Hannah conceived and bare Samuel, one of Israel's greatest prophets. Scripture tells us none of his words fell to the ground. What does that mean? I think it means this. When Samuel said something, that's the way it was. You could count on it. And we read in the following chapters, 1 Samuel, that God blessed Hannah with more children yet. You see, God delights to give. He delights to give. He delights to answer prayer. He delights to show himself strong. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. And God has done that time and time and time and time again. I would like to just recount again a story in the New Testament about God answering prayer. As I study the life of the early church, I see they operated by prayer, in prayer, in communion with God. Acts chapter 4, where they were commanded not to teach or preach in the name of Jesus. It says, being let go, the apostles went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and scribes, elders had done unto them. And it says, when they heard that, they lifted up their voice with one accord and said, Lord, behold their threatenings. Look at their threatenings. We're being threatened not to do what you told us to do. Grant unto your servants boldness that we may speak your word boldly. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spake the word of God with boldness they continued on the persecution continued but so did the prayers and you follow on through to Acts chapter 12 and we read that Herod had taken James and beheaded him and when he saw it please the Jews he apprehended Peter intending after Easter to do the same with him but we read a tremendous verse. But prayer was made unto God by the church unceasing for Peter. Prayer was made unto God by the church unceasing for Peter. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. And as they made this prayer to God, they were praying would you as a church pray if your pastors were apprehended and you knew after Easter they were going to be executed? I think we would pray. I 
I think the church was praying when Stephen was giving his discourse as well. God delivered Stephen. He delivered Stephen. Stephen said, I see the heavens open and I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. What a deliverance. I'm coming. What a deliverance. In answer to prayer, Stephen was delivered. God chose a different deliverance for Peter. He was not through with Peter. Peter was kept in prison with four quartarians of soldiers. If I have my math right, that means 16. Now, I wasn't very good at math in school. But my way of saying it, they put him into maximum security. How many of you have been involved in prison work and you go into that prison and as you're going in, you hear them gates clanging shut behind you? Kind of jolts you a little bit, doesn't it? It does me. And you know somebody's got to unclink that thing. So you can get out. And here's Peter in maximum security. And here's the church praying, unceasing to God for Peter. And God says to one of the angels, I got a little errand for you to do. You see that little fellow down there in that cell? Yeah, the one that's sleeping. It says Peter was fast asleep. How many of you, if you knew you were being executed the next morning or after Easter, could sleep? The Lord giveth his beloved sleep. And here's Peter sleeping soundly between these soldiers that he is chained to. And God says, see a little fellow down there sleeping? I want you to go and loose his chains and lead him out of that place. Okay. I don't know, do angels fly? I'm not sure how they move about. But this angel comes, and Peter recognized as an angel. And it says there was a light that came on in that prison. How many of you can sleep when a light comes on in your bedroom, middle of the night, somebody flashes a flashlight in your eyes, turns on the light? That amazed me when, when I saw that and followed what actually happened. There's a light comes on, and Peter, snoring away, still snoring and it says the angel smote him and that's not just tugging his toe that's like a sock you know and Peter I don't know initially thought it was one of the soldiers upset with him but he sees something's unusual and he realizes he's not chained anymore. Chains fell off. Tinkle, tinkle, tinkle. I don't know, was it concrete or dirt? But they fall off. And the angel says, get your shoes on, put your sandals on, we're out of here. And Peter gets up, puts on his sandals, and he follows the angel, and it says they come to the one gate, and they come to the next gate, and it opens up of its own accord. Amazing. Amazing. And Peter's led out into the street. And suddenly he realizes, I'm not dreaming. <laughs> Remember how sound he was sleeping? Didn't wake up when the light came on. Somebody had to sock him. 
maybe he was having a dream. And now he realized, I'm not dreaming. And it says, when he had considered the thing. I like that. When he had considered the thing. I don't know what you read into that, but what I read into it is this. Most times in every congregation, there's a, a family or several families that are just given to hospitality. They just have open doors anytime, all the time. We had a brother like that at home. Such a blessing. And God gives that for the edification of the whole. And sometimes you uninvited, you just go over there after services for popcorn and Kool-Aid or hot chocolate whatever. And I think that's part of what Peter was considering. Now where would everybody be? Oh, probably over at Mary's house. And so he goes over there. And sure enough, that's where everybody is and they're having a prayer meeting. And all the adults in the living room are somewhere praying. And Peter comes up to the door and he starts knocking. I don't know if he looked in the window and he sees everybody kneeling down, but he's knocking. And the adults all praying, but the children may have been out in the other room and they hear the knock and they go answer the door. And this little girl looks through the glass in the door, if they had glass in the door back then, and she recognizes Peter. And without opening the door, she runs back in where mamas and daddies are praying. And she says, hey, Peter's at the door. Can you imagine? Shh. We're praying. Shh. But Peter's at the door. Shh. And Peter, I don't know if he saw it, but it says he kept on knocking. It seems to me he probably knocked a little louder, harder. And he answered the door. And sure enough, there was Peter in answer to prayer, alive and in person and well. What a mighty God. Don't you want to know more about him? Don't you want to know him? Don't you want to be able to talk with him? Don't you want to be able to have a relationship with him? What a mighty God we serve. I'm going to close with that. Can we stand? Would you lead us, Brother Joe?